when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Amen. Why do we possibly call this Friday good? On the first pass, it seems truly terrible, full of anguish and brutality. An innocent man tortured and killed. As I sit with it, I can think of so many other names we could have given to this day. So why? Why do we call this Friday good? You could call it Mary's Friday. Mary swaddles baby Jesus. She sings her Magnificat before he's born. And you realize that he got some of his casting down the mighty from their throne ideas from his mother. The apple does not far fall from the tree. She journeys with him even to the cross And as he struggles to breathe, he spends precious final words ensuring his mom is cared for. Woman, behold your son. And to John, behold your mother. Then John takes Mary in as his mother, ensuring that she will be safe for the end of her days. So why call this Friday good? You could call it Religious Authority Friday. Jesus of Nazareth does not get crucified for being nice. No, He cuts the cord for that old alliance between money and politics and religion. Friends, it is dangerous for Rome in the first century and it is just as dangerous for us today. You see, the religious authorities know that Rome bears and fears a rebellion in Jerusalem. Their financial model, their political power, and their military protection comes with a promise to crush anyone who dares challenge the assumptions of empire on which Rome thrives. Don't you dare question whether might makes right. They'll take you out. Don't you dare wonder if God's name is misappropriated for political gain. They'll finish you. Don't you dare challenge the money that keeps the temple perfect. Them's fighting words. Oh no. The religious authorities do not take kindly to a challenge. So why call this Friday good? You could call it Anti-Jewish Friday. The text we just read mentions the Jews 22 times. St. John and St. Matthew's passions in particular have contributed to 2,000 years of anti-Jewish rhetoric. 
the notion of Christ killers along with other false and hateful stereotypes was used to justify the horrors of the Holocaust, Lord have mercy. Friends, I have fallen in love with a Jewish woman and I'm thrilled about our interfaith marriage. I've been warmly welcomed into Hannah's family. So where I used to be a concerned citizen around these texts, now it's personal. Jewish people are my family, and I love them. And I want to say unequivocally that Jesus of Nazareth lives and dies and is buried as a very faithful Jew. And though there is no day more tied to anti-Jewish bile than Good Friday, may we atone for any role we have played in this evil, even if only by remaining silent at times. We stand with our Jewish partners in all of the good work happening across this city. Indeed, my friend and colleague Sarah Stewart and I had the honor of serving as poll chaplains, protecting the right to vote with members of the Temple and All Saints and Ebenezer Baptist Church. So why call this Friday good? You could call it Pilate's Friday. He has all the power and he wants Jesus to know it. Do you refuse to answer me? Do you not know that I have the power to release you and the power to crucify you? Pro tip, anytime a man shrieks at you about how much power he has, he's clinging to a lie. As the Reverend Dr. Otis Moss says, never confuse position with power. You see, Pharaoh has the position, but Moses has the power. George Wallace has the position, but Dr. King has the power. The bus driver has the position, but Rosa Parks has the power. Pilate has the position, but Jesus has the power. And so John wants us to feel Pilate's struggle in this story. He is the position holder. And because of that, Pilate could stop this march to the cross. Pilate could save an innocent life if he but had the moral clarity and the courage to do so. But instead, he folds to the angry marching mob. So why call this Friday good? You could call it Mob Friday. Fact is, it's easy to stir up a crowd, get folks chanting and play to our worst impulses and shine a spotlight on demagogues, release the demons lurking in our id, beat up on scapegoats, sell your rage as carefully packaged snake oil for the have-nots. Oh, it's easy to stir up a crowd. Get them mad at somebody else so they don't have to look at themselves. And even the tyrants quake when the masses take to the streets. So why call this Friday good? You could call it Substitutionary Atonement Friday. You've probably heard this damaging theology before. It goes like this. Humanity's sin causes a vengeful God such rage that someone must suffer. Jesus takes the pain for all of us and our salvation is found in His suffering 
specifically in his pain on the cross, a blood offering to an angry God. Let me be clear, this is not the Yahweh, the God of love that we encounter in the scriptures. What of God's love and justice, mercy and compassion, starting with Yahweh's forgiveness of Israel after the golden calf fiasco in exile, in Exodus, moving through Jeremiah's promise of iniquities forgiven and exemplified in Jesus of Nazareth in his life and teaching, we cannot understand Yahweh, the God of the Old and New Testaments, and the one Jesus calls Abba, as anything other than love. And what's more, we must reject a theology that would separate the Father from the Son. How could God the Father punish God the Son if Jesus is true God from true God and true man from true man? Why would a triune God punish God's self? So what could possibly be good about this Friday? Theologians Karl Barth and Karl Rahner offer a beautiful new perspective. It's a little dense, but hang with me because this is powerful theology. God keeps saying yes to the world. And the world keeps saying no to God. God says yes to the world in the primal blur of creation, but the world keeps saying no to God by turning away from God's will. God keeps saying yes to the world by sending prophets and sages to reveal a righteous law. As Walter Brueggemann writes of the prophet Jeremiah, God does not do these things merely out of some kind of stubborn faithfulness, but out of a deep, wounded love and a profound grief that have moved God beyond anger to tender caring. Beyond anger to tender caring and most importantly, to forgiveness. We realize with Dr. King that there can be no deep disappointment where there is no deep love. And so it is out of love that Yahweh makes that incredible promise to Jeremiah, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be my God and they shall be my people. I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Friends, God never breaks that covenant, but we do, time again. And then in the fullness of time, God so loves the world that God says yes again and sends God's only Son for the sake of the world. But the world keeps saying no to Jesus. We scorn and challenge Him, and ultimately we say no in the strongest possible terms by putting Him to death, even death on the cross. Yet in the midst of all of this, God waits still lovingly, longingly for a yes from the world. And this is where and how the cross saves. Jesus, God incarnate, intercedes on our behalf from the cross. Jesus says, Father, forgive them, all of them, everybody, all the time, for everything, for they know not what they do. And because Jesus is fully human, fully divine, in this world and from God, finally, the world can say yes directly to God. 
And in this way, all is forgiven. And the cross becomes the ultimate symbol of amazing grace. And there's more to the cross's power. Arms outstretched from atop a cold, lonely garbage dump. Jesus of Nazareth looks at the stone walls of Jerusalem. And past there, he can see the valley of the shadow of death and all the roads that lead straight to Rome. He sees the worst of the domination system. Indeed, he feels its pain in his hands and in his feet and in his head. And he stares it down. And he exposes it. And he rejects it. From the cross, he might have sought vengeance. From the garden, he might have stirred up a rebellion. Yet he says to Peter, put away your cross, and he heals the man's ear. He might have sought pain for those who had pained him, but instead he prays to God to forgive them. And he promises after his resurrection to bring all people to himself. There is a nasty storm at 3 o'clock on Friday afternoon. But dividing curtains would tear apart. Gravestones would prepare to roll. And then centuries after the Roman Empire would fall under its own cruelty, people across the globe would be sharing Jesus' message and not that of Rome. He says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. You should love one another. And by this people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Ultimately, we can call this Friday good. And this is the point. Because Jesus shows us how to forgive. We can call this Friday good. Indeed, we do call this Friday good. Because God loves you so much that God sends His only Son to show us the power of love, to forgive the world, and to teach us how to forgive. Whatever sins are on our hearts this day, whatever the worst thing is that we have ever done, behold the wood of this cross. Behold the wood of this cross. And we seek and receive God's forgiveness. May we know deep down that all is forgiven, may we forgive ourselves. But then also, may we work toward forgiving those who have wronged us. Not to subvert justice, not to eliminate the need for consequences, not to erase the pain, but to release it to God's mercy. My friends, why indeed call this Friday good? Because this is the day when we learn to forgive, when we experience the power of God's grace which cancels shame and guilt and death and even the grave. If there is someone in your life that needs to hear the two hardest words in the English language, I'm sorry. 
I want to encourage you. I want to invite you to reach out to that person today. Send them a text, call them, send them an email, and say, I'm sorry. Tell them you love them and ask them to forgive you if they're ready for that or to journey with you towards forgiveness if that's what it takes. And if you seek forgiveness for God or from someone else, from someone you have wronged, I want to urge you to have that brave conversation even today. It will make your Easter that much sweeter. Indeed, my friends, this is the way of love. This is the way of abundant life. As George Herbert has it, a life that killeth death. Come my way, my truth, my life. Such a way as gives us breath. Such a truth as ends all strife. Such a life as killeth death. Come my joy, my love, my heart. Such a joy as none can move. Such a love as none can part. Such a heart as joys in love. Amen.